That's better. We worked really hard on that video. Good morning again. We're in our second week of Advent. I'm sure you've done all of your shopping, and so we're just we're ready to relax and celebrate. Um, all those nervous laughs out there. I love that. And uh, uh, we have uh, this morning. We're going to talk about a place at the table. And I was thinking about that. That one of the great things about the holiday season is is the table. I don't know the if there's a place in your house or a place that you think about with the holidays, but one of the places that I automatically uh, think about is the table. That there's something about Christmas dinner and coming together and family and oh, you know this this year uh, we we got Aaron and Amber in town in our family, which is really great. And then in um, the end of December, though, our other sons and all their kids are coming. And so just a heads up, because our anniversary is uh, January 3rd, and it's a fairly big one for us. And so we're, uh, they're all coming in, and the, Aaron told me the other day, he said, hey, I just want you to know, I was talking to the brothers, and we've got that Sunday. So you'll have Caleb and Josh preaching, and Aaron doing music, and uh, if you've been here before when they've done it, it's pretty fun. So I want to encourage you over the holidays, not to uh, miss that. Now, I'm setting this table for us, and uh, Jenna's not, so if the tablecloth looks a little bit, you know, not quite square, it's me, okay, seriously. And, and if I did have it perfect, you'd worry about me, right? So, uh, but it's a place, everybody has a place at the table, unless, of course, you're still at the kids' table, which is a total bummer. Um, let's say if you're 40 and still at the kids' table, I'm sorry, okay? But, uh, the, but that's kind of a special place, too, except that instead of silverware, you get sporks and, uh, you know, and paper napkins and stuff that can't be broken. But at the Christmas table, everything's done just right, and the table is set because it's part uh, of the Christmas season and, and the conversations that happen. And there's just something about being at the table at Christmas that really is important. It's really special, and you bring out, you know, silverware, and you bring out plates. I mean, Jenna's got a table set already, and it's got these Christmas plates, and I don't even know where they came from. Um, they're these gorgeous plates, and, uh, and, and so uh, all of this is so special, and, and being at the table in Christmas really does matter. It really is a big deal, and, and it got me thinking um, about having a place at the table, and you know, um, all through history, being around the table has been a very important part. In fact, there's one scholar, Scott McKnight, uh, that said that the table builds societies. And when you think about that, you think about people that are in a dispute. Uh, you think about countries uh, that are you know, close to going to war together, and what do they say? If we could just get everybody to the table, right? We can, we can talk this through, we can work it out, that there's something about being at the table together. There's something about having your family and people that you love and people you care about around the table together. And, and when we look at the Bible, we find that the table played a hugely important role in, in what um, God was doing 
uh, in the world, that everywhere you look, there's stories about being around the table. For centuries uh, during Passover, it was an important uh, thing to have all of the family, uh, extended family, around the table to celebrate Passover. When we get to the New Testament, we see all of the times that, that Jesus was at the table. One of the most uh, famous stories is the story of Zacchaeus, right, in Luke 19. And, and Zacchaeus is up in a tree, and Jesus sees him. And what does he say to Zacchaeus? He says, I'm going to your house today for dinner. I'm coming to your house. I'm gonna, I'm, <laughs> it's interesting, but I'm welcoming myself to your table, is what Jesus basically said. But to invite somebody to the table in, in, in that um, time in history was to say, I want a relationship with you. I want to be in fellowship with you. Uh, we have, we, it's an intimate experience. Uh, it's a valued experience. It says that we're friends, that we, you matter to me, that, that uh, we have this relationship. And so to be invited to the table was a really big deal. I wanna talk about a story this morning out of the New Testament out of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's a great story uh, about the table. And in Matthew 9, it ta talks about Jesus uh, early in Matthew 9. It says uh, that, that uh, Jesus went into the town and he saw a tax collector. Uh, he passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And so if you've read the Gospels, if you've listened to sermons for a few times, that you, you know that tax collectors were a big deal. Typically when the Romans took over the country, they would hire Jews to be their tax collector, which meant that that person that got that job uh, was a traitor to his own people, that he was taxing, collecting taxes for the Romans uh, from his own people, and the rule is that you'd get paid for being a tax collector, but at the same time, you could tax people more than was required by the Romans, and they would have to pay you that, and you would skim off the top, and so tax collectors, not only were they considered traitors and outcasts, but they were very rich people. They were very powerful people. They had the Roman army at their disposal. So in Matthew 9, uh, it begins with uh, that there was the tax collector, and Jesus walks up to Matthew at his tax booth, and he says, follow me. And it says that Matthew got up, uh, and he followed Jesus. Now, the very next verse, the story changes, the scene changes, and we see that Jesus is invited to Matthew's house. And in the next verses, Jesus is at Matthew's house and the party is about to start. It says that in Jesus reclined at the table uh, in the house and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So the next thing that happens, the next scene that we have is that Jesus has been invited to Matthew's house, Matthew the tax collector, Matthew the sinner, Matthew the outcast, the thief, the traitor, and it says Jesus is reclining at his table, that all of a sudden we have the God of the universe, we have the Christ, and he is saying I'm in relationship, I'm a friend, uh, I'm in community with a tax collector. Well, the religious guys, the Pharisees, they, they were uh, repulsed by this whole idea, and so uh, the Pharisees, they saw this, uh, somehow, and they said to his disciples, and I, I love it, if you pay attention, there's going to be a quiz at the end of this, okay, so pay close attention, that, that, the, that the Pharisees went to the disciples. They didn't go to Jesus with their complaint. 
how clever of them. They went to the disciples, the interns, you know, the guys that still had no clue, the guys that were still trying to figure it out, the guys that were still learning, and they try to ask them the tough question. And so they, they go to the, the disciples, a.k.a. interns, and they say to them, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would he do that? Doesn't he know if he's so wise, if he's so smart, if he's so important, why would he stoop to having a meal? Why would he stoop to going into a relationship, building community with such vile, bad people? Well, Jesus hears what they're saying and and says this. When he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick Go and learn what this means, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So what's Jesus' response to the Pharisees? You know, the Pharisees were, uh, literally that word Pharisee means to separated ones. They They would separate themselves. They would follow the law better than anybody else. They were the most religious of the religious. They were the kings of being religious. They knew the law. They knew the rules. They followed them strictly, but it was about the rules. It wasn't about a relationship. You see, the Pharisees' job was to decide uh, who got to the table and who didn't get to the table. Their job was to keep people away from the table if they didn't think they deserved to be there. And Jesus said, I want everybody to be invited to the table. I want everybody. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done. But if you want a relationship with me, I have a place at the table for you. And so while the Pharisees' job was to keep people away from the table, what Jesus did was constantly invite people to the table, welcome them to the table. And so the Pharisees had a huge problem with this. But Matthew didn't. Matthew walked away from his career. He walked away from uh, his future income. And then the next thing he does, and most people do this, right? You, You leave your job and you leave your future income and then you spend a lot of money on a party to celebrate that, right? That's what Matthew did. Why would anybody do that? He was so overwhelmed with the invitation of Jesus to follow him. He was so amazed that he, of all people, would have a place at the table that the only thing he could think of was, let's throw a big party because Jesus has invited me to his table. Jesus wants a relationship with me. And so Matthew walks away from his wealth and his success and he throws a party for Jesus. And as Jesus passed from there, he saw the man Matthew and he called him and he said, follow me. The same call that we have in our lives that Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to have a place at my party. I want you to have a place at my table. You know, in Matthew 11, the Pharisees went so far as to call Jesus a glutton and a drunkard. In fact, uh, what they say in in Matthew 11 is a a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's how they describe Jesus. A glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now there's a couple of perspectives on this, but one, one is simply this, that I'm really glad because I fit in one of those categories, right? I'm a sinner. I'm really glad that Jesus came to call the gluttons and the drunkards and the sinners because otherwise I wouldn't be at the table. I wouldn't have gotten invited if he didn't invite sinners to the table. 
But here's the second thing. There's actually almost a legal precedent for what they were saying. If you go to Deuteronomy 21, uh, in, in the law, there's a place where if parents had kids that were incorrigible, you've all felt like that sometimes, if parents had kids that were out of control, wouldn't respond, totally rebellious, they could actually go to the elders of the village, the elders of the town, and say, uh, and, and this is exactly what they say, that my son is um, a friend, uh, uh, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And w if the elders found him guilty of that, then he could be beaten, he could be stoned, and then driven out of the village. So there was precedent for this. So they weren't just calling Jesus a name. They weren't trying to describe Jesus. They were using what was almost a legal term against him, that they were saying that he's out of control, uh, that he's doing things that nobody should do, that we need to stop him. And so they used this title for him, uh, that he was a glutton and a drunkard. Uh, and, I, you know, and I was thinking about this idea because remember the prodigal son? Remember the prodigal son that went away and he spent his inheritance and he wasted it? And then he said, even my father's servants live better than me. Even my father's servants have food to eat and, and a place to sleep. And, and so he went back. He was going to go back to his father and said, Father, forgive me for I've sinned against you and against God. And, but it had to be, if you lived in that culture, when you were hearing that story, you had to think about Deuteronomy 21, that here's what he really deserved. He really deserved to be called a glutton and a drunkard. He, he, what he really deserved was to be stoning and to be driven out of the village. But what he received from his father that day was a robe and a ring and sandals and a place at the table. You see, we're all here this morning because Jesus has offered us a place at his table. You know, we talk about communion often, we, we talk about the Lord's Supper, but another term that they used in the ancient days was the Lord's table, that you're invited to the Lord's table, you're, you're invited to participate in the Lord's Supper and sit and be at his table. Now, if you lived in the first century, it was a very different experience because instead of sitting at a, at a nice table, you would actually be reclining. So your feet would be out this way and, and you would be leaning at the table. And, and it's a really an interesting thing to think about because imagine all of these people leaning in over the table, elbows on the table, and, and you didn't just eat a meal and then dash off in those days, but you reclined and, and meals might go on for hours because it wasn't just about the food, but it was about the relationships, about the conversation, uh, about talking together. Now, Jenna had some great tricks when our boys were growing up uh, to have that. We didn't recline at the table, although I'm pretty sure they would have gone for that, but she had uh, the bear jar and it would have questions and everybody have to pass around the bear jar at dinner and, and you'd pull out a question and then you'd have to read that question and answer it, you know, and, and, uh, and, and that was how she got everybody to sort of stay around the table and get conversations started. Even when all of her boys, all four of them complained about it, we would say at the table, and we'd go through the bear jar and we'd answer the questions and we'd have a conversation together. But in those days, that was really common. You might sit there for a long time because it was the fellowship. It was leaning into the table. It was, and here's another thing that's really interesting. If you can picture uh, reclining at the table with your elbows on the table uh, and you're, you look up and everybody's right there. There's, there's not a lot of personal space when you're reclining at the table. You see everybody really clearly. You see everybody really up close and personal. And it was a personal event to have a meal together. That's what Jesus did. He invited, he invited us to the table. Now, one of the really interesting parts of this, though, 
is he didn't, get, he didn't give the Pharisees a vote. Did you notice that? He didn't go to the council of the Sanhedrin. He didn't go to the Pharisees ahead of time and say, hey, you guys, I've got this incredible idea. I want to invite really bad people to dinner. And, and I, want to, I want to start a relationship with them. And so I just want to give you guys a heads up. I want to make sure it's okay with you. I want to give you, you know, t- talk this through with you and, and get the council on board because, uh, because I'm going to start inviting tax collectors of all people. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm going to invite them to have dinner. Jesus didn't do that, did he? He just opened his arms really wide and he said, I have a place at my table for you. You have a place at the table. And they came. They came to the table. We have come uh, to the table. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to his disciples a couple of really important things. He's saying to his disciples that I invite everybody to the party. We're, We're not voting on that. We're not voting on who gets invited to the table. That's what Jesus does. And he invites everybody to the table. And so do you know what that means? (laughs) That means that occasionally there's gonna be someone that's up close and personal with us that just drives us nuts. We call them sandpaper people, right? That they just rub us the wrong way. But we don't vote who's at the table. We have been welcomed at the table. We're in a place that we don't even deserve. I shouldn't even be at the kids' table. I should be sort of out in the back door someplace, you know, just sort of hoping for some crumbs. Jesus has invited me to the table, but he's saying, Larry, my arms are open really wide, and I want you to understand that I invite who I invite, and they're part of your life. They're part of who you are. And so we have one picture in the New Testament of the disciples. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they came together and they had supper. They knelt and they leaned at the table. And you know the story because in John 13, they were so arrogant, they were so caught up in themselves that they, that they didn't wash their own feet, that they just came in and Jesus washed their feet. And then they were leaning at the table together and Jesus was saying, you know, that this is Passover time and Passover was always celebrated with your family and your extended family and Jesus is giving the disciples a message that today you're my family. You've become my family. You see, when Jesus invites us to the table, he's making a statement, he's making a claim, he's saying you're no longer an orphan, you're no longer lost, but now you're part of my family. And we get to celebrate that. We get to acknowledge that, we get to recognize that, that we have been given a place at the table. And so we come to church and every month we celebrate this idea that we've been given a place at the table. Sadly, we don't always come to the table together on Sundays. Often we just, most of the time, we just pass the, the plate and we celebrate. And this is, this is sort of a, a, a sad for us because it, it, allows, it, it allows the Lord's Supper, it allows the Lord's table to be an individual thing. You know, I pass you yours, you take your cup, you take your wafer, you wait for everybody. We kind of all take it together, but we're not at the table really together. You can make it a solitary thing. You can sit by yourself. You can keep your own counsel. You don't have to do it with everybody else, but that's not how Jesus taught us to do it. He taught us. He invited us to his table, and he said, you know, we don't have, we don't come to the Lord's table alone. We come to the Lord's table in community. We come with each other, even people that rub us the wrong way, even people that challenge us, and so this morning, we're going to pause right here, and we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together.
we're gonna come to the table together. We have four tables set up uh, around the worship center here. And the worship team's gonna play. And here's what I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna invite you. I'm gonna invite you to, to get up when you're ready and, and simply go to the Lord's table. And you can come as a family, you can come as a group, you can grab your small group, you can come as an individual, however you, uh, however you prefer this morning. But I want to invite you to the table because the Lord said on the night that he was betrayed, he gathered all of his disciples. And he said, I'm instituting something that's brand new here. And, and it's the, the scripture says that he took bread and he broke that bread. And when he broke it, he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. He said, whenever, whenever you eat of it, you, you do it in my name. You do it in remembrance of me. You see, Christ's body was broken for us. We all know that. But why it was broken is so that we could have a place at his table, so that we could have a relationship with him. And then it says he took the cup and, and he said, this represents the blood of my new covenant. He said, whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me until I return. He said, this is for the, this is, is for, for the forgiveness of your sins that my blood is going to be shed for you. And when you drink of it, you do it as a reminder that I came and I gave my life so that you might be forgiven, so that you might have a place at my table. That's the promise that Jesus gives us. That's the power. And here's what I believe. I believe that Christ is present at his table. I believe that Christ is present in the bread and the cup. Uh, I believe that Christ is present in us when we share at the Lord's table together. So we are going into the presence of Jesus this morning as we share in the Lord's Supper together. And like any table in 2015, um, we have different dietary issues, right? You know, you're a vegan, you're, you know, paleo, you're, what, you know, all that kind of stuff, and, and uh, God bless us, but, you know, that's what we are. So if you go to the table, there's a loaf of bread, and, and you could actually break a piece off and dip it into the cup and, and do that, and if hygiene is an issue, you can actually just take a wafer out of that and take a cup, and nobody's gonna judge you for that, and if you're gluten-free, there, seriously, I'm not making this up, but there's some gluten-free wafers over there, and so so feel free to take one, dip it in the cup, and uh, all is well. Because you see, when we come to the table, we're a family, and so we think about what it means to be part of the family, don't we? I'm going to pray, and then the team's going to play, and I want to invite you just to, as the Lord leads you, to come to the table. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've invited us to the table. What a gift this is for us, Lord. We are amazed at your love we're amazed at your generosity, Lord. So Lord Jesus, we ask you now that you would, would be present with us as we come to the table. We ask, Lord, that you would not only remind us of your incredible love for us, but you would remind us of your love for all of us, Lord, that we all have places at your table. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. You know, in the book of Acts, something uh, remarkable happened. The church was birthed. And the very first day, Peter's very first sermon, 3,000 people responded. And, uh, you know, any management book would tell you that's impossible to manage. Um, but they had 3,000 new converts that this church 
uh, had been born. This church had been birthed in spectacular fashion and people were, were alive and people were excited. It was a, an amazing uh, moment in history. And then we go to the second chapter of Acts in verse 42. Uh, it tells us how they managed it. It tells us what they did. It says that the people, these new believers, were continually devoted, what they constantly did. They were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the break of bread and to prayer and when you think about that one of the things that marked the early church is that they had a table together that they were continually devoted to the apostles teaching but they were also continually devoted to fellowship to being together and one of the best ways that we're together is around the table in fact all of these people had been in Jerusalem for the Passover uh, when the church was birthed and many of them didn't have homes to go to many of them were poor and so other people in the community others of these new believers would invite those people into their home, not because they had a long history, not because they were related, but because they were followers of Jesus, because they were part of this new church, and they would have fellowship together, and they would break bread together. In fact, there's, a, there's an old tradition that says when they would meet for a meal that they would leave one place setting empty because they were convinced that Jesus was going to return at any time, and they wanted to have a place set at the table for him. And, so, and they used to call those a love feast. They would share in the Lord's Supper together. They'd have that place set aside for Jesus, and they called it uh, a love feast. And what we've had this morning is part of a love feast because we have a place at the table. We've been invited to Christ's table. And so when we look at the early church, one of the things that we recognize is that all of a sudden when 3,000 people get together, something unique is happening. And nobody's voting, nobody's picking who sits beside them. But they're part of the body of Christ. Now they're part of his family. And they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so one of the questions I would ask you this morning is what, have you, what are you celebrating this holiday season? What are you celebrating this holiday season? Have you, have you been sort of lost in all the other stuff? Have you taken a moment to really celebrate? Part of what we do when we come to the Lord's table is we celebrate what Christ has done for us. We celebrate our, our life in Him. The other part of the Lord's table is that we are called to remember we remember what Christ has done. When you think about the Lord's table, what do you remember this morning? Uh, have you gotten so caught up in being a, a really good church person, which I think is a wonderful thing. I appreciate you being here. But sometimes we get focused on who's not invited to the table as opposed to who should be invited to the table, right? We, 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 we focus so much on who's not qualified to be at the table rather than who we should invite to the table because you see the Lord's arms are open really wide he's invited us for goodness sakes his arms are open for anyone that will come and be at his table you know when you recline at the table and I was thinking about the disciples when you recline at the table and you're all kind of squeezed in you, you, Jesus can see you really well he can see all of the little cracks in the facade that we build up. He, he can see our expressions. He can see our emotions. He can see us really well. And we can see each other pretty well, too, when we're at the table together. And we're reminded that we're here because of who Jesus is. Uh, we're reminded that it's because of him 
that Jesus says, my body was broken for you. I've created this place at a table for you. We're gonna, we're gonna sing one more time this morning and I'm gonna ask you to stand. And, uh, and I know it's been a lot of exercise this morning. You've had to walk and stand and, and I know and usually you have your 35 minutes to sit and that's a good thing. I get that. But it's Advent season, so let's go crazy. So we're gonna, we're gonna stand more time. We're gonna sing a song and this is what I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you to celebrate and I'm gonna ask you to remember and, and, and as we sing together and we celebrate the Lord together, we celebrate the Lord's table, being invited to the Lord's table, I'm gonna just ask you if someone uh, in our congregation, someone that's here this morning comes to mind uh, that you are grateful that they've always had a place at the table for you. You're grateful for their influence or their kindness. That, uh, and, and that you just slip out of your spot and go have a word with that person. Just thank them. Say something encouraging to them. If there's somebody here this morning that you would like to invite to your table, I'd love for you just to take a minute. And see, so we're standing, so it's non-threatening, it's not awkward, you know, all of those things that we can just sort of be a family for a couple of minutes this morning. And maybe celebrate a little bit, remember God's goodness to us. Remember the relationships that God has put in our lives and take a minute and thank each other for having a place at the table together. Let's do that. Thank you.